Before we begin, don't forget that if you want to hear this episode ad-free, then sign up to our members channel. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes. Members will get exclusive access to all episodes of Smoking Gun, completely ad-free, before anyone else. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Inventor Bruce Bradley took off his white coat. It had been a long day. He rubbed his eyes. He was tired, but more so, he was frustrated. He'd been desperate to find a solution for years now, and he knew he'd feel this meddlesome frustration until he did. For the last decade, Dr Bradley had been developing his latest invention, a machine which would revolutionise the food safety process. After six children had died from a horrific outbreak of E. coli in the early 90s, Dr. Bradley had become determined to ensure something so tragic, so preventable, never happened again. He knew it was within his capability to invent something which tested food to make sure it was safe, to ensure that no one got sick. And he was inching closer to achieving his goal, he acknowledged to himself. The MVAC, as he'd named his machine, was showing promise producing amazing microbiological samples from the food it tested. The inventor headed out of the lab and made his way towards his car. Tomorrow was another day. The MVAC would change the world, eventually. He was sure of it. And Dr Bradley was right. The MVAC would go on to change the world. Just not in the way he'd imagined. In fact, the machine might not end up preventing people's deaths but it would become the tool which ensured those responsible for murder would end up behind bars. My name is Romola Gary, and I'm an actress who's always been fascinated by how criminal cases are solved, the amazing processes that go on behind the scenes, and the clues that clinch the case. And my name is Tracy Alexander, I'm the president of the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. I've spent years inside these processes, searching for those clues. I've dedicated my career to using science to help the course of justice. 
and my work has ensured that hundreds of criminals have gone to prison and the wrongly accused go free. Together, we're going to lift the lid on some of the most extraordinary cases from around the world. We'll discover how, with the help of science, everyday items have become the key to catching a killer. From What's the Story Sounds, this is Smoking Gun, Series 2, Episode 16, The Vacuum. The boys stood on the bank of the Provo River in Utah, looking across at the opposite side and trying to work out what he saw. There was a shape, pale and angular, lying on the large granite rocks which lined the bank. The boy blinked. There was something about the shape which made him feel peculiar. No, it made him feel afraid. The boy called for his father, who stood only a few feet away, The pair were spending this winter day together hunting. But as his father, an experienced rancher, came to stand by his son's side, the elder made a noise of surprise, of alarm, which confirmed what the boy had not allowed himself to believe. They had stumbled across a body. Within an hour, the still calmness of the river became a whirlwind of noise and action, as the Wosatch County Sheriff's Department descended, and investigators immediately began processing the scene, which was unusual, to say the least. Detective Todd Bonner stood over the body on the rocks. It was a young woman, and she was naked. Her face and hair were streaked with blood. Some bloody rocks lay next to her, one of them presumably responsible for the trauma to her skull. One crime scene technician staggered away with one of the boulders. It was heavier than the usual pieces of evidence he had to process. Aside from the body, horrifically out of place in the beautiful Utah wilderness, there was only one other item on the scene, a rolled-up pair of socks which were neatly folded and lying on the rock not far from the woman. It was an eerie tableau, providing no immediate clue as to who she was or how she came to be there. Back in Wosatch County, the mortician washed the body down carefully. He combed the woman's hair and made an inventory of every mark, natural or man-made, visible on her skin. The woman had three tattoos, a number six on her left hand, some arrows on her upper left arm, and two hearts with the name Chris above her left breast. The autopsy confirmed that the cause of death for this Jane Doe was blunt force trauma to the skull, and the estimate time of death was placed at around 9pm on Friday, December 15th, 1995, around 12 hours before she'd been discovered by the rancher and his son. Police ran the woman's fingerprints through the county's database, but nothing came up. So Detective Bonner made the executive decision to release sketches of the tattoos on the woman's body to the local newspapers and news channels. He hoped that someone would recognise them and allow him to finally identify this Jane Doe. And very soon, someone would.
Chris stared at the TV. His blood ran cold. He could hear the newsreader's voice, though it sounded very far away somehow. The screen flashed with images he knew well, tattoos he'd seen every day for the last year. They belonged to his missing girlfriend, who they were calling Jane Doe. But her name was not Jane Doe. It was Tracy. Tracy Bezlanovich. Bile rising in his throat, Chris scrabbled for the phone and called the police. He was invited into the station where, heartbroken and numbed by the news, he was able to provide information about the days leading up to Tracy's disappearance and the discovery of her body. Chris told police that he and Tracy had been staying in a motel in Salt Lake City, which was about an hour south of Wosatch County. In the early hours of the morning, Tracy, unable to sleep, she was a night owl after all, had declared she was hungry. She wanted to go to the store around the corner to grab some food. It was only a five-minute walk from the motel, and Tracy could handle herself. I'll be back in no time, she had said. But when she didn't return, and the hours ticked by, Chris had the inkling of a feeling that something wasn't quite right. Not that it wasn't unusual for Tracy to go AWOL, in fact it was something she did quite regularly, but nevertheless he thought he should at least attempt to find her. He walked the route Tracy would have taken to the store. He went inside and spoke to the cashier. He even asked other residents at the motel they were staying in if they'd seen his girlfriend. But no one had. He waited until the following day to see if Tracy came back. And when she didn't, he decided to give it a little longer. Eventually, however, with mounting panic that she would not return, he reported his girlfriend missing. So, in the run-up to being sat in front of the motel TV, watching pictures of Tracy's tattoos on the screen, Chris had assumed that Salt Lake City police were trying to establish his girlfriend's whereabouts. Now, he knew. Chris told police everything he could think of, and he gave officers the contact details for Tracy's family so they could get in touch with them and break the news. This routine procedure, letting the family know of a death, in this case a murder, is something that's dreaded by all police officers. Having to break someone's heart is never easy. But in this case, it was an event which turned out to be very different from what they expected. Tracy's father answered the phone after three rings, and he listened gravely as detectives delivered the news. But then, very matter-of-factly, he informed the police they were mistaken. His daughter Tracy was very much alive. He'd just spoken to her. However, he thought he might still be able to assist them. He suspected that the body found on the rocks, and the woman identified by Chris, was actually his stepdaughter, who had a habit of using his real daughter's name. Crystal Lynn Bezlanovich was 17, a smart girl who loved English and had all the promise of a bright future. Crystal had started to go off the rails at high school after falling in with a bad crowd. 
By the age of 12, she had experimented with most drugs, and this had led to multiple run-ins with the police. In fact, Crystal had, at various points, been arrested for theft, prostitution, assault and possession of drugs. Eventually, with no prospect of graduating, she dropped out of school altogether, and at the age of just 16, she decided to run away to Salt Lake City with her boyfriend, Chris. Crystal saw Salt Lake City as a new beginning, and what better way to achieve that than to be an entirely new person altogether? Her stepsister Tracy was a little older than Crystal, and Crystal had used her name and her ID before. But the new name and the new city didn't stop Crystal from falling back into old habits. And during their investigations into her death, police discovered that she was still earning money as a sex worker. From the outset, detectives were suspicious about the fact that it had taken so long to report his girlfriend missing. Even accounting for their dysfunctional lifestyle, it seemed odd he wasn't more concerned for her welfare. And why not use her real name? And when it turned out that Crystal had not, in fact, ventured out for food, as Chris initially told police, officers landed on the likelihood that he'd been acting as his girlfriend's pimp and that she'd gone out that evening to work. Chris vehemently protested his innocence. He told police that he had lied to protect Crystal. Not only was she underage, but Chris was worried that if police knew she was a sex worker, they wouldn't be as motivated to find out what happened to her. And he was right in the fact that he had no apparent motive to want his girlfriend dead. She made the money. He depended on her, and he had no means of getting to the area Crystal's body had been discovered, even if he'd wanted to, having no money and no car to get him there. Despite the initial scrutiny, Chris was helpful in pointing the police in the direction of other leads, particularly in relation to where Crystal worked and with who. Detectives questioned many sex workers from the area, asking them whether Crystal had any regulars or whether she was having any kind of disagreement with anyone. They also asked whether her peers remembered anything unusual about the night she disappeared. And in too many conversations for it to be a coincidence, the same detail came up again and again. One local man, a cab driver called Herb Fry, was known to be absolutely infatuated with Crystal. He spoke openly about his love for her and about his jealousy if she was ever with anyone else. Herb was questioned extensively, but other than his obsession with the woman now lying in the morgue, there was nothing to forensically link him to her death. Then there was another lead, which seemed too close to home to be coincidence. Just a few weeks before Crystal disappeared, 33-year-old sex worker Melissa Griggs had been found murdered in a car in the city. Crystal and Melissa had worked in the same area. It was even possible that the two had met. But on investigation, that's where the similarities ended. The MOs of each woman's death were very different, and detectives closed the door on that line of inquiry. The only physical evidence they had to work with was a partial DNA profile found on one bloody piece of granite from the body disposal site. It belonged to an unidentified male, and no match came up when the profile was run through CODIS, though the database was in its infancy at the time, and not the extensive resource police rely on today. So, once again, investigators found themselves at a dead end. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Crystal's case slipped further and further down the priority list. The girl was a wayward youngster. Her lifestyle meant people she knew or associated with were reluctant to speak. And despite Detective Bonner's determination to crack the case and his pursuit of possibilities statewide, no new leads presented themselves for years. In 2006, new forensic technology developed over the previous 10 years, allowed analysts to extract more information from the DNA evidence found at the crime scene and on Crystal's body. Samples from under Crystal's fingernails were found to hold the same DNA sample that was found on the rock. But it still wasn't enough. The samples were partial, incomplete. They were so close to the answers but still so far. The now-seasoned Detective Bonner had been sheriff for over four years when in 2013 Wasatch County Police were introduced to a new forensic tool, the microbial vacuum, also known as the MVAC system. It was a machine which would revolutionise forensic testing. But in fact, it was never intended to be used in crime scene investigations at all. It was originally invented as a way to collect pathogens from food surfaces in a bid to improve food safety. But when the inventor's son described the machine to one of his friends who worked at the FBI, both quickly realised that the MVAC could have an alternative use. As such, it became the new wonder machine for DNA extraction. The MVAC functioned like a mini hurricane, using a unique combination of sterile solution spray and vacuum suction that dramatically increased DNA uptake from a range of surfaces, so that DNA could be collected and analysed. It's incredibly efficient at what it does, gleaning 40% more DNA from a saliva stain on a polyester jacket than a cotton swab, and 88% more from a blood stain on nylon. So when Sheriff Bonner heard about the MVAC, he immediately thought of the Crystal Bezlanovich case. He encouraged a private forensics lab in the West Temple area of Salt Lake City to buy the system. 
and to lab test the rocks which had been found near Crystal's body. The results came back a couple of months later. The bacteria vacuum-turned-CSI machine had picked up touch DNA from the rock, genetic material left over from when someone touches or leaves saliva on a surface that is hard to collect. And lo and behold, Bonner now had the full DNA profile of the man he needed. The analyst sat in front of the computer, punched his fist in the air. Gotcha, he muttered triumphantly. The DNA extracted from the MVAC and entered into CODIS had produced a hit. Someone who was already in the system had matched with the DNA profile from Crystal's crime scene. And that man was 46-year-old Joseph Michael Simpson. Simpson was well known to Utah cops for violent conduct. In 1987, he'd been sent to prison for second-degree murder, having stabbed a man who later died. For that crime, he was sentenced to a minimum term of five years, only being released on parole in April 1995. It wouldn't be long before he was back behind bars for drugs offences. But in the window of time that Simpson was out in the world, Crystal had been murdered. This was the piece of the puzzle that Detective Bonner had been waiting all these years for. The DNA evidence was an unequivocal forensic match. But the senior officer wanted more. He needed this to be 100% watertight. He wanted justice for Crystal. Justice which was long overdue. Initial inquiries revealed that Simpson was now living in Florida with his parents and had been for over a decade. So Detective Bonner flew across the country and began to surveil the man whose name he'd only just learned, but who he'd been obsessed with for all these years. Bonner watched Simpson going about his daily business in South Tampa. He was large-set, wearing an oversized T-shirt, Stubble covered his face and neck. Detective Bonner's eyes narrowed as he watched this man, seemingly unrepentant, untroubled, come and go from his parents' house. He watched as the man lit a cigarette and inhaled deeply. And he watched as he threw the cigarette to the ground and lumbered away. Detective Bonner waited. He looked left and right climbing out of his car and walking over to the spot Simpson stood just five minutes before. The smell of smoke still lingered in the air. Carefully, Bonner used a pair of tweezers to pick up the cigarette butt and place it in an evidence bag. And that evidence bag didn't leave his sight as he travelled back to Utah and handed it over to the forensics lab. A few days later, he received a phone call. The DNA match was confirmed. Simpson was their man. The Bozlanovich family were overcome with emotion when they received the call from Wosak police to say they were confident they'd found the man who'd murdered Crystal. The family had waited almost 20 years for resolution, for closure, And now the man who was responsible for that torment was being arrested. 
officers descended on his Florida address and placed him under arrest on suspicion of aggravated murder based on the DNA match secured by the MVAC. Detective Bonner himself closed the handcuffs around Simpson's oversized wrists as he looked the man squarely in the eye. Now the clock was ticking to build up a case which would be delivered to a jury at Simpson's trial due to take place on September the 15th, 2016. The police's version of events unfolded as follows. Simpson had met Crystal on the night of the 15th of December 2015, just a few blocks from the motel where she was staying with her boyfriend Chris. He offered to pay her for sex. According to Simpson, she agreed. He drove her to a remote location that he knew well. His work as an airport shuttle driver regularly took him past the Riverside area where her body was later discovered. He'd had plenty of time to contemplate how remote it was, or how someone committing a crime there wasn't likely to be seen, especially late at night on a cold winter's day. And, to add to the circumstantial evidence, there were some compelling confessions too. During the trial, two of Simpson's previous prison inmates were called to take the stand. Both made statements that Simpson had admitted to them that he'd killed the young woman during their time together inside. It was damning evidence, dramatically imparted, and the jury listened intently. But it was the forensic evidence which was the most contested in court. Despite the match established by the MVAC testing and despite a palm print match to a bloody imprint found on Crystal's body, the defence attorney contested that the DNA evidence in this case was weak. They did not deny that Simpson had had sex with the victim, but Crystal's line of work, the defence argued, meant that she came in contact with numerous men and any one of these men could have been responsible for her death. It was reasonable to argue that their client's DNA could have been transferred to the crime scene by accident from an earlier encounter. And it was true that trace amounts of DNA from other individuals had been found on the granite rocks at the scene. Detective Bonner's stress levels were through the roof. Would the jury be swayed away from the DNA evidence? Would they acquit? He needn't have worried. After just three hours of deliberations, the jury found Joseph Michael Simpson guilty of the murder of Crystal Bezlanovic. It was the outcome Detective Bonner had waited two decades for. But, at the sentencing, as justice was about to be served, Simpson himself addressed the courtroom... In an impassioned speech, he told the judge about his troubled childhood. He revealed that he'd been plagued by depression and ill health his whole life and that he couldn't bear to die in prison, having spent so much time inside already. It was a cynical and self-serving appeal, and it did not move the presiding judge. On September 30th, 2016, Joseph Michael Simpson was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He will spend the rest of his life in the central Utah Correctional Facility. Just three years later, Detective Bonner retired, after over three decades in the police, having finally put a case which had haunted him to rest. And the MVAC system continues to reveal the smoking guns in criminal cases all over America. After Simpson's arrest, Bonner released a new statement saying, Without a doubt, 
The MVAC system is the major tool that allowed us to make critical DNA connections in this case. In the US, labs use MVAC when standard swabbing techniques don't work. It can retrieve so much more biological material than standard techniques, and it all started with a case of Crystal Bezlanovich and a rock. The UK has a much bigger database per capita than any other country. In order to make searching against it more effective, DNA collection and analysis has to be more sophisticated and targeted in order to make the results evidential. After Simpson was sentenced, the MVAC company also issued a statement. Getting DNA from a cigarette butt is impressive, but collecting a full DNA profile from an 18-year-old rock is amazing. And Detective Bonner couldn't have agreed more. Though if not for his determination and pursuit of advanced DNA technology, Simpson would still be a free man, and Crystal may never have received the justice she deserved. Smoking Gun is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's narrated by me, Romola Gary, and by me, Tracy Alexander. The series is supported by the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. Their work supports the international fight to improve forensic techniques, to share ideas, and develop the crime-solving scientific advances of the future. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating and review, and help spread the word. You can listen to a new episode of Smoking Gun every week, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to listen to all episodes right now, you can find them completely ad-free on our subscription channel, What's the Story Crime. On there, you'll also get exclusive access to a whole bunch of bonus interviews led by me, where I speak to some of the most experienced and skilled forensic scientists from around the world and find out more about what they do. Those interviews are only available on What's the Story Crime. There's also a whole range of brilliant true crime content all made by the same team. You can check out The Missing, with more than 60 episodes all about long-term missing people, which invites you to try and help solve the case. You'll also find exclusive series like Jigsaw, true crime investigations like 900 Degrees, and incredible stories told over several parts. Whatever you're into, if you enjoy listening to Smoking Gun, we're sure you'll find your next must-listen podcast on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just search for What's the Story Crime, subscribe, and you'll get all your favourite shows ad-free. For listeners on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or any other platform, all you need to do is click the link in our show notes or visit www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Your subscription helps to ensure we can keep making more of the content you love. And it costs just 3.99 per month.